Hello and welcome to The Ether. Today is Friday, April 8th, 2022. This episode of The Ether is brought to you by Glow Yield. Glow Yield is the ecosystem of Terra decentralized apps like Lotto and Creators, all powered by DeFi Yields. Glow Creators helps artists and influencers give their fans exclusive perks through membership, NFTs, and more. Glow Lotto is a prize link savings account with a weekly chance to win the big jackpot. Tickets are free and perpetual, which means there's zero chance to lose money. Be sure to follow Glow Yield on Twitter and join the Discord community to stay up to date with all all the glowing projects and check them out online at glowyield.com. This episode of the Ether is also brought to you by Talus. Talus Protocol is the NFT platform for independent artists on Terra. Talus helps to provide artists with the tools and resources needed to transition from traditional art into the NFT world. With their V1 launch coming soon, Talus will be the place to see real-world art reflected on Terra. Be sure to join their Telegram and follow Talus on Twitter for updates on their roadmap, validator, and other Talus news. Find your next favorite artist on talus.art. TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. Today on the Ether, the Orbital Command Alpha Hour, hosted by Dr. Doscoin with Risk Harbor. Let's take a listen. All right, all right, all right. Here we are today. Another episode of Twitter Spaces with Dr. Doscoin coming through you at Orbital Command. Just waiting for the crew at Risk Harbor to jump on here. We'll just take a moment, so hang tight. And very shortly, we'll have Max on the call. I'm just going to see if I can get him up. There he is, Max. Okay. And what I'll do as I'm inviting him up to speak is just do a quick introduction here. Uh, We're going to spend the next hour with Risk Harbor speaking with Max. Uh, Now, Max here, Max Resnick, as he goes by, uh, as I can see, he's worked with MIT. Um, and is a research engineer at Risk Harbor. So we've got some big brain stuff coming up, I think, here, people. And hopefully we can see some more people coming through. There we go. Max is being approved as we speak. As per usual, all of the orbital command spaces are recorded by TerraSpaces, and you can listen back to them after the spaces ended on TerraSpaces.org. And for whatever reason, I'm just having a moment of glitch where Twitter is not allowing me to bring Max up, so I'm just going to try that again. And just to check in, I've got my my setup a little different today. I'm on a standing desk rather than a sitting desk, so I just want to make sure that the audio is coming through okay. So if the audio is coming through, feel free to just drop a little clap sign for me, please. Okay. Minerva's dropping the peace signs. Speaking of Minerva, I was looking at buying a Minerva hat just the other day off the Lunar Loop website. I think that's one of the better looking hats there. So I'm probably going to grab one of those and one of the Kujira hats just quietly. Hey, welcome. How are you going? Good, good. Doing well. How about you? Always well, always well. Whereabouts are you in the world at the moment and what's the time over there? Uh, I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the moment uh, and it's 4 p.m. Fantastic. Wrapping up your day on a Friday. Do you have weekends anymore, sir, or are you a nonstop workaholic? I mean, does anybody in crypto have weekends anymore? That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was having this conversation with my partner just the other day. We've got a, just bought a new little puppy, and uh, mm. between her, the puppy and crypto, I'm like, I actually don't have a life outside of this. So, <laughs> yeah, can, can resonate. Hey, I was just doing a, a brief introduction of you. Obviously, you just uh, mentioned that you used to work with MIT. You are one of the research engineers at Risk Harbor. Um, you're, you're among a team of, you know, I think, what have you got there? About nine people, to the best of my understanding? Yeah, I think, it's, I think we're about nine now. Um, it changes. We're, we're hiring pretty fast right now. So, um, right. 
we might have hit the double digits mark recently. But yeah. Fantastic. And you look you're quite an impressive team. As I was looking through on the website just before at the uh the core team. Now most of you have uh backgrounds with like Coinbase and there's even people from like Shopify and people from like all sorts of locations. Can you tell us a quick bit about your history, your background before you uh, ended up at Risk Harbor? Yeah, for sure. So I did my undergrad in pure math and then uh, I did an internship actually at the White House. And I kind of, after that experience, I was like, what can I do? That's the opposite of working at the government because I didn't have the greatest of experiences there. So I looked to crypto. Um, as that opposite and i got super involved super interested in all of the kind of technical rabbit holes that you can fall down and then um ended up meeting ralph and drew through reddit actually those are the, the co-founders of risk harbor and uh just kind of immediately clicked and uh ended up joining the risk harbor team and i've been there for around 11 months now so Fantastic. And I was actually really surprised to find out. So Ralph and I have been uh, in communications recently just in regards to uh, organizing this space and then also just some conversations around the TerraDAP Expo. I was surprised to find out how young Ralph is. I, I believe he's early 20s. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I think almost everybody, we, we have a few older people on the team now, but um, back when I joined, it was almost all um, very young people. I'm 21 myself. And then um we also have <laughs> the youngest person on the team is Ralph's brother who's uh who's in high schools or he he would be high school age but he's so smart that he's in in college so um yeah it's a pretty young team which is great because it brings a lot of energy and uh new ideas and and all kinds of stuff to the space that's incredible i um i tip my hat to you guys for getting at it getting after it so young i think you know 21 i was probably building marquees for weddings at that point i think so very different lives that we have been living at that age but um scrolling through like we'll, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it in a minute and we'll get into all of the exciting things that are happening with uh v2 that's coming out uh, what you've been chipping away at behind the scenes um i just want to give people a little bit a little bit of context just because risk harbor is one of those things that it's been on my radar for probably maybe like five months or so when I first heard about Risk Harbor. However, I, per- I personally have never had never used it until I'm just being completely candid here. I'd never used it because I had a few uh, considerations around insurance and I'll, I'm happy to go over those with you uh, during the call and find out your two cents on them. But I, um, I would love if you are able to, for people who are not yet familiar with you or using your services and products, just give a quick rundown, a quick TLDR of you know what exactly Risk Harbor is, does, um, and some of the products that you currently offer. Yeah, yeah. So the core offering that we have is is that we're a marketplace for risk transfer, and really those salient risks that we're talking about are hacks, attacks, economic spirals, the kind of things where you see them on Twitter. Um, you know, every month now where some, some protocol gets hacked for $600 million, some bridge gets hacked. Um, there's an Oracle failure on a lending protocol and $130 million gets taken out. That was the key market that we wanted to address. And what we saw at the time that we, we started up was there were some offerings in the space, but we didn't think they were doing it quite right because what the state of the art was when we first started on this was basically a paradigm where you had a big DAO uh, that voted on the validity of all the claims. And what ended up happening was the people who held the governance tokens were exactly the same people who were underwriting all of the insurance. And uh, so there's a massive conflict of interest that people were basically voting no or could vote no to protect their funds, which were, you know, potentially going to be paid out if they had to, to pay out after a hack happened. And so we decided, you know, either the funds are there or they're not after a hack. And that's probably something we could read on chain. Or in fact, a contract, a smart contract could read on chain. So we decided, why don't we just automate that process of evaluating claims completely? Um, and 
turns out we have some technical wizards on the team who figured it out. And uh, we were able to give that job of evaluating insurance claims, protection claims to a smart contract rather than to a DAO or uh, a claims assessor. So that was a core innovation. And then on top of that, we built uh, and automated the pricing and, and risk uh, and portfolio management side of the protection business as well after. Right. Okay. So there's quite a bit going on there. And obviously the vision has been carried out uh, to an extent so far, and you've had some pretty major backing too along the way. Uh, as far as I know, there's people like uh, Pantera Capital, there's uh, Coinbase have got behind you guys, which isn't a surprise thing as how many people seem to have worked at Coinbase before. Um, and then you've also had, is it Framework or something? There's a few that have, that have backed you over the, over the last sort of what, 11 months, 10, 11 months. Yeah, Framework is very notable as well as uh, Do Kwan himself actually is one of our angel investors. So, um, yeah, a lot of great people on our cap sheet and we could not have done it without them as well. Fantastic. Big DK on the case. So, do you, you ever clear up one thing that I, there's a quick question I have just around the protection itself. Is it, you know, you mentioned a few things there around spirals and whatnot um, and, and hacks and things of that nature. Does it also cover or does it not cover the like significant USC de-pegging? Yeah, yeah. So um so this is something that we're actively looking at. Um we wanted to focus on the the anchor protection itself first, partly because we have all these funds from the uh terror community to to underwrite in and they're all in UST. Um and we didn't really want to, you know, create a bunch of selling pressure to have the kind of, I don't know, to have USDC or USDT or something to underwrite protection. We didn't want to, you know, sell a lot of UST to do that. Um, I don't think that was the vision of the funds that were allocated. So what we're looking at is how do we do that in a way that is backed by decentralized assets that's not um, going to create a bunch of selling pressure into centralized stables which is not the vision of of ust obviously so um that's one thing uh the other thing is there's a ton of efforts going on throughout the ecosystem and we've been uh involved in those to shore up the ust peg so people probably have heard about the effort that jump and lfg and um the Terraform Labs are doing, which is making the Bitcoin reserve fund. Um, and we advise on that as well. So we think that right now is the, the place that we're looking at as the UST peg protection. And we're going to focus on the anchor side. Right. Okay. So, hmm. Curious. I'm, okay. I'm curious to know then. I is, because obviously when you go into anchor protocol, the list of who is who you're able to get uh, access to insurance with at the moment, the default teams, uh, what have you got? You've got Unslash, Nexus Mutual, Bridge Mutual. Is is uh, Risk Harbor something we're going to see listed there or is it kind of just operating? Like, Is there a reason on Risk Harbor hasn't been popping up on my radar more up until this point? Yeah, up until now, I think the, the reason has been capacity constraints. So, yeah, it's going to be on there. And um, I do have something to announce as well on the capacity side, since we do have a large allocation from the Terra Community Fund. We're going to be able to, in, a, in about a week, we're going to be deploying our V1, a new version of our V1, which is going to have nine figures of um, capacity for people to purchase protection. Um, and that's going to be the largest of any protocol. Uh, providing anchor protection. And then a couple months after that, we're going to be deploying our V2 um, with hopefully 10 figures, right? The full uh, capacity that we're allocated in our V2, which is able to operate at leverage and not only provide um, protection on anchor, but on the other protocols, Mars, Mirror, Prism, you know, whatever is around then because the space moves so fast, but 
that's not only going to be for for anchor it's going to be for everything because that's what our b2 architecture does amazing so just for for contrast here you've currently got up to what is it just seven figures at the moment or eight so we have uh, about 10 million capacity on the um mainnet side and then a little bit more if you add up what we have on on eth and on other areas but yeah so most of it is so that's just the 10 million right now it's completely capped out meaning sure. there's there's very i think there's like eight thousand dollars of capacity left over or something but obviously that's not enough so we're going to be deploying a new one um with much more capacity right and that capped out really quickly like when you guys released v1 the first time i believe that capped out sort of on the day of yeah yeah, I think I wasn't awake when they deployed it, and then I woke up, and they were like, "Oh, it's capped," you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. So I just want to acknowledge that, you know, end up ending up with ten figures. We talk, that's a billion. We're we're talking billions now. So that's um, I guess one really trust building with people, uh, and and affirming, you know, from an authority standpoint, people will see that and go, "Cool, well, risk cover are a big deal. They they've got the capacity to cover in the in the uh, in the billions, so that is huge news. Of course, you're you know you're talking about now Prism, Anchor, um, Mars. Basically, are you looking across the entire Terra ecosystem uh, for any lending protocol, etc.? Yeah, I think if people want protection, and we do our diligence and and are confident that we can offer that protection, we're going to do it um that's the vision i mean we have the tooling we have all this technology which is why we got the it's not just you know trust building obviously um the 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 community trusts us but they also saw the tech that we have right and we built that v2 out so that we could have leverage so that we could use the billion dollars not just for one billion of protection but for 10 billion of protection across the whole system. So that's what we're looking at. And you, we almost see the, the risk harbor as kind of a gateway for the institutional investors who are looking at those juicy yields on anchor to come in. And then maybe they see, Oh, well, the anchor protection is capped, but there's this protection available on Mars with some nice yield. They didn't even know about Mars before. And maybe they'll come to our website and see that there's Mars protection available and, and investigate it further and then kind of jump down the rabbit hole that way. So that's one of our goals is to be a funnel for institutional investors to come in and, and put their money, not just in anchor, but across the whole ecosystem. That was actually going to be one of my next questions because obviously you've got ozone, you've got core, which we haven't really touched on, but but core ozone and then institutional was the next uh, the next phase, which is said to be coming soon. Do you, do we have some due dates on that? On the institutional side, um, yeah. So so what we're doing right now on the institutional side is we're working with them to kind of onboard them into our existing products. Right. Um, I can't share much more on that, but I think you'll start to see when we when we deploy the capital and it it starts to get eaten up. What we've been doing behind the scenes. Um, so I think the volume will speak for itself. Um, but I think that the institutional conversations have been incredibly productive, partly the fact that we can say we do have a billion in capacity or we're going to have a billion dollars in capacity means, you know, we're not brushed off immediately. Right. That's a big number to say. And uh, uh, makes people take you a lot more seriously when you say that. So, um, yeah, the institutional side is really exciting, too. Um, but I can't share any more details about that right now. I'm sure we'll see it unfold as the coming weeks, months, years go on. Um, let's talk V2 a bit. Obviously, uh, in one of the most recent uh, risk harbor threads, the TLDR was basically, look, we're going to be live for a bit longer with the V1. Uh, V2 is getting built out. Um, and then there was some redacted. Is the redacted partly, is part of that redacted around this uh, new increased cap or is that something separate? That's going to be something separate. Um, I can't share it right now. I, I asked if I could share it, but I can't share it right now. It's going to be really exciting. Um, but yeah, so just to reiterate that we're going to be uh, live for about one more week with the current 10 million. And then we're going to be 
deploying uh, a new pool with uh, an updated default rate, which is going to be uh, closer. Right now, it's at about 80%. It's going to be closer to about 95%. And then um, it's also going to have nine figures of capacity. Uh, and then in a couple months, we're going to be deploying the full V2. And by the way, the V2 is already live. We wrote the contracts originally in Solidity. So the reason it's taken a while, we just got to um, translate it into Rust for Terra. Right. Okay. So just to be clear, Risk Harbor was originally uh, on Ethereum before Terra. Yeah, exactly. So we deployed on Ethereum uh, originally, and then uh, our biggest market on Ethereum was ironically the Anchor protocol, which was on Terra. We said, why not just you know go there natively? So that's how we ended up here. As in regarding the uh, bonded Ethereum that's on Anchor? So, so our biggest market, we actually use the bridge. So we use the bridge to have like our market and then we use the bridge to communicate with Terra and see uh, and check the um, anchor solvency through the bridge and then we could pay out if it's insolvent. So. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So you're protecting users who are susceptible or you know, uh, subjected to a hack via the bridge between uh, Ethereum and Terra. Yeah, yeah, we were protecting people from anchor risk and from the bridge risk and from uh, the USTD peg risk all at the same time. And that was a really big market. Um, and I think we sold about 10 million of protection. This was a while ago. And that was mm. kind of what, what started to, you know, be, turn into this uh, and show that we did have the technical ability to, to do this. Right. Okay. And so when you're you know, obviously talking about selling, you know, 10 million of insurance, as far as the numbers go, so a couple of things that I'd be curious to know about is one, the, like the users, the user base that you currently have, how many people are currently using it? And also what, you know, do you have any stats that you might be able to provide on you know, claims paid out? Like, is there, has any of that actually needed to take place at the moment? Have we, cause we did have that drop back. You know, I know I, I incurred a bit of a liquidation in January um, obviously, that was just through being a DGen and leveraging too high on Anchor. But, you know, have you had many claims come through in the last four months? So, yeah, we haven't actually seen um, claims come through yet in live, but we do tons of backtesting on our automated systems. Partly that's because we choose protocols to work with carefully that are not going to have, you know, like we're not going to go work with Cream who has uh three hacks you know just because that's that's not the great the right business you want to be in as a, a protection provider when you work with you know a, a project that has has many hacks or just is kind of careless so we work um exclusively with or we have in the past with protocols that are pretty well vetted and um we've been lucky that there haven't been um any issues with the protocols that we've had protection markets on that doesn't mean that there couldn't be and it also doesn't mean that we, we hadn't tested exclusive like extensively the payout mechanisms so we do test all of those mechanisms very extensively before they're on chain um just to make sure everything's working um and and i think we had a tool live i don't know if it's still live but we had a tool that you could kind of trigger a hack yourself on a toy protocol and just see how the default detector worked um so that's yeah so we haven't had a claim paid out yet but that's i think i would attribute that to us being lucky into choosing protocols to work with that are very diligent but even very diligent very good developers there's always a risk right i mean we saw it with wormhole which is an amazing team and there was still you know just something they didn't catch in the audits that got through and caused a big event so certainly so, and, you know, on that, what you just said then about the demo account type thing where you can uh, kind of play with it yourself and figure out what it, how it would work. I'm imagining you're referring to the simulator.riskcarbo.com uh, where you can create the pool and go through and give it a name and select the default ratio, et cetera. Is that what you're referring to then? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, I don't know if it's still live. I think it is. Yeah, yeah it's live. I, I actually had a question about that because I was looking at it and I was like, I actually don't know how this would work. So 
for example, as a user looking at it and wanting to play with it, and this is for anyone that's currently listening and may want to play with it themselves in real time, um, you know, it's simulated.riskharbor.com. But you can choose, you know, the name of the token or the pool or whatever it might be, the payout ratio, the default ratio, and then the expiration Unix timestamp. What, just for the sake of doing this exercise, if I was to select payout ratio, this is saying like, cool, I, I expect to be paid out, you know, $10,000 because that's the amount that I'm covering. Is that how that would work? Yeah, so there's two quantities to keep in mind. Uh, there's the payout ratio and the default ratio. So I'll give the example, example on Anchor. So on Anchor, you deposit UST and you get back a certain amount of AUST. And when we're checking for whether Anchor is solvent, whether Anchor is going to pay you out, um, we uh, check by redeeming some AUST and see how much UST we get back. So that's our check. And that ratio of how much UST we got back to the AUST is then compared to the default ratio. If it's below the default ratio, it's considered a default. Um, so right now it's about 80%, but uh, we're going to be deploying a new pool with about 95% default ratio. So the second thing is the payout ratio. And that's what happens if we go through our check and we find out that uh, the protocol is in default, the payout ratio is how much UST you're going to get paid out for each AUST you have. Um, and that's also going to be around 95% in the new pool. Right, gotcha. So rather than entering like large numbers, I'd just be entering the percentages themselves. So I'd put in, say, 90% for the default ratio and the payout ratio, you know, 95%, just for an example. Yeah, yeah. And what is the expiration Unix timestamp? That, that's just the, the time that the pool is going to be expiring at. And then okay, I think gotcha. it's... Because it says here, so for example, it gives you, you know, it says probably like 10, 10 numbers there, 166790908. Is that like four, I don't, I don't know how that would be a timestamp. I'm trying to work out, is that a date? Is that a time? What is that? Um, let's see. Is that a Unix timestamp? Yeah, the Unix timestamp, that's right. Because I think, and it, it might sound tedious and a little uh, boring to your listeners right now, but I think it's really important to like have a really easy understanding of how this stuff works because it can be very high level and I get that, you know, your team is full of very intelligent people um, and a lot of that for the, for the end user, you know, ideally you want to make it as simple as possible for people to play with it because if they play with it, they get to know it and then they use it and they're more likely to, you know, use it properly once it's all V2 is launched. Right, right, exactly. So, so Unix timestamp is the number of seconds since January 1st, 1970. Gotcha. So if you look up like a Unix timestamp converter, you can do that. I'll, I have one up right now. So if you want um, a pool that expires in May, on the 1st of May, uh, then you can put in the number 16514513332. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you put in something like um, 165 and then some zeros, it will be live for a little bit right okay i'm gonna do that right now um is there something that's going to be like that to me that that's not very intuitive at all to like play with is there going to be something you know when people are doing this in the real world uh in irl are they going to uh is it going to be just as simple as like hey set a date set a like oh i guess people wouldn't really know would they would most people wouldn't know when the pool is set to expire so, so, just, so we handle that all on our front end. So it's like pretty intuitive uh, when people are kind of looking at the front end um, and, and they can see, you know, this pool expires in two weeks or this pool expires on May 1st, you know? Gotcha. So that's, I'm making a note right now. I have a note that we can change <laughs> it from Unix timestamp because nobody knows what that is, you know? Uh, but yeah, um, that will hopefully be changed it's a pretty simple change but yeah. awesome well i feel i feel i feel honored to have contributed to a potential uh, <laughs> update in the in the protocol um so let's go over okay so what we'll do we're sort of 25 30 minutes in here um there are going to be some questions i can see someone's uh, in the queue at the moment to ask a question um i'll open that up in a few minutes there so thanks for your patience uh, people who have your hand up uh, in the meantime i would love for you to go 
just through like the ins and outs of what's exciting you most about V2, uh, you know, the sorts of things that it's going to encompass uh, and what, you know, what do we as the users need to know moving forward? Yeah. So, so the V2, that's, that's the question. What's the, the yeah. Question? Just, just talk us through V2. Obviously it's happening. Uh, it's happening soon. Um, there, I know that there are, I understand that there are certain things that you can't, uh, go fully into detail about, but of course, you know, we're looking at the front end being nearly done. The SDK is in progress. Like, can you talk us through some of that? Yeah. So the contracts are out for audit right now. Um, which is exciting. Um, the the key feature differences between V2 and V1 are that in V1, we had this kind of over-collateralized solution where we, we had $100 of, of underwriting capital. We could only sell $100 of, of notional coverage. And what V2 is opening up through this vault architecture is to allow that $100 to be reused to underwrite many protocols at the same time. And the idea is it's unlikely unless there's some kind of cascading failure event that a bunch of protocols are going to get hacked at the same time. And so we're able to use the same underwriting funds to provide protection, to underwrite protection on many protocols. So that's the, the vault. And then we have in side by side with the vault is the AMM architecture. And that's my baby, the AMM, that's basically the way that we price and portfolio manage because now that we have a bunch of protocols whose failure may be correlated because there may be some cascading failure risk, how do we manage that portfolio so that we're, we're ensuring that we have sufficient underwriting funds to pay out if there is a, a hack? Um, so that's what the AMM is doing is kind of when you buy a bunch of uh, protection on compounds, say, on mainnet. We know that failure is correlated with Aave. So not only are we going to increase the price of compound protection, we're also going to increase the price of Aave protection because they're correlated. That's the kind of thing um, that the AMM allows us to do. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And I'm curious to know how it's assessing the risk of CASC. Like, so as it's doing its pricing uh, for those protocols how is it assessing the risk uh, between them right so that's something that we do um not on chain because it'd be really expensive on chain to do to run the algorithms that we have but we run those algorithms off chain called our risk engine um and it's actually a variety of algorithms but the the gist of it is that we're looking at market conditions uh and and the market often gives us a pretty good idea of how to price these things because um, if you purchase protection with us and you have um, some yield rate, then that should be about equal to the risk-free rate. So that gives us a good starting point um, just from the market conditions itself. And then we have some other tooling that kind of goes and looks at um, some aspects of the code. Um, we usually work with uh, very well audited protocols, so there's not much distinction there. But th these are the kind of things that we do, and it's sometimes like uh, like with uh, Yeti, which is a stablecoin protocol uh, similar to Min that's launching on Avalanche. Um, I myself actually looked into the code uh, in particular, and um, so we're we're pretty serious on the diligence side and um, looking at the risks before we we list it. Yeah, of, of course, being, you know, essentially an insurance company, you, that's like rule number one <laughs> is managing risk. Um, and so, of course, I, I understand you're already across. So you're, part, you're, on, uh, you're running on EVM, Avalanche, uh, what with some other ones, Arbitrum, I believe, Terra. Mm -hmm. uh, this is all current? Uh, yeah, I believe so. So I think we have something live on Arbitrum right now. We definitely have something live on Mainnet. Um, deploying to a few other places soon too. So look mm -hmm. out for that. A anything you can mention there? Or? Um, I should not. <laughs> You'll see. Make sure you follow uh, Risk Carve on Twitter. We got some 
really exciting announcements coming up. Yeah, okay. Um, the, there's a quick uh, quick plug for you. So anyone, anyone who's listening who's not following At Risk Harbour, of course, this is something that you should be doing if you want to stay abreast of what's uh, on the horizon. Um, and I get what you're saying before too about the likelihood of, you know, everything failing at the same time. It's, it's sort of in the same way, and it, I don't really like making the comparison, but it makes sense for me, is, you know, fractional reserve banking in the way that banks can lend more money than they have on hand because the probability that everyone's going to come to the bank at the same time asking for their money is very low. And so is that, exactly. does that make sense for you? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a comparison that we use a lot. And it's actually, you know, something that we think about the kind of bank run risk is a, is a risk that we do analyze, um, especially on lending protocols like Anchor. So right. I think it's a very apt analogy. And I think the other analogy that comes out of that is the, the FDIC in the US, mm-hmm. which is this big government organization that kind of guarantees your deposits. Um, I think in some ways we fill a similar role to that or we're going to with Anchor because um, we're going to be providing that protection and that's going to make it so that there isn't as much risk of a bank run, even if things are looking a little bit sketch, right? People know they're insured. They're not going to go run to anchor and try to get their money out Yes, because they know they're insured, right? So that's, that's one of the public goods that having robust on-chain protection provides. Right. Okay. Because yeah, obviously we had you know was it May last year when there was the little death spiral that was happening or well, not little, it's like an 85 percent pullback, or whatever. But that death spiral that occurred within uh, Anchor, you know, some mechanisms changed since then, and then we've got obviously lots of uh, new things like white whale that's emerged. Um, obviously, there's just better systems in place to make make sure that uh, you know UST maintains its peg and and that. Uh, and then you've got Kajira and the other Lighthouse and all the other protocols that are enabling people to purchase, you know, uh, discounted B Luna that has been sold from, uh, you know, that is liquidated. So there's all these things in place. And so this sounds like it's just another having that level of uh, insurance uh, gives, I guess, peace of mind to users that they're okay in the event that something beyond their, mm, beyond their control occurs and, puts them at risk of some sort of uh, liquidation or some sort of, um, yeah, at, at the at the mercy of like a hack or an exploit or something. And so it just kind of increases the likelihood that people will, inv- well, institutions with the big money will invest um, in these protocols, give more exposure to it. And then, of course, there's a flow on effect to retail. So I think this is all really starting to make sense to me now. What I'll do, because he's been so patient or they've been so patient, uh, I've got netfragger.ust. I'm going to just let netfragger on. They've had a question for a while here. And anyone else who might want to ask a question, uh, go for it. I'm going to open the doors here for you. All right. Netfragger, you are on if you are listening to this still and you want to ask a question. Yeah, I'm here. I just had to unmute myself. Um, First, want to say a huge fan of what Risk Harbor is doing for the Terra ecosystem. I think that's fantastic. I think that's really insurance protocols is really um, something that we need um, to bring, you know, the masses in to anchor and stuff like that. So really appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, what I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I hear uh, two major alphas um, in terms of increasing overhead for insurance. One is the V2 that allows, you know, liquidity to slush around. I think that's great. Um, two, I heard that there's, uh, I thought I heard nine figures more liquidity coming soon, uh, which is also great. I, I kind of want to know if there is a demand for this um, at the institutional level or are us plebs going to be able to get in on some of that insurance? Yeah, so there's, a lot of demand at the institutional level, for sure. We're actually working um, behind the scenes. We're trying to to make it so that there's you know some reserve for uh, the average community member. Um, there's a lot of demand from the institutional side, and uh, ultimately, I think they're kind of the main uh, clients who this is really built for because they have uh, risk quotas that the average. Um, user doesn't necessarily have. 
Um, but we're we're working to try and get a mechanism. Obviously, there's there's, there's always an issue with Sybil in um, crypto, where if we were to make it so that you could only purchase, you know, we could reserve some fraction of the protection uh, for accounts that could only purchase up to, you know, fifty thousand or something, right? But then you could just make more accounts. Um, so that's an issue that we're grappling with, and and we want to make it sure, make it so that people who are the smaller fry are going to um, have enough uh, or have a chance at that capacity. And it is, it's actually going to be 10 figures. It's actually going to be a billion dollars eventually in the, in the short term, in the coming weeks, it's going to be nine figures deployed. And then as we launch V2, we're going to be um, putting the rest of the capital in. Uh, so our hope is that we are able to build systems that, make it so that the capacity isn't a constraint. And so institutionals and community members alike are able to get the protection that they want. Um, but we recognize that there may be, given our conversations that we've, we're having with institutional investors, we recognize that there may be, you know, a lot of institutional demand. Um, we want to make sure that the community members can get it, but we're dealing with that civil issue. So yeah, great yeah, question. And, and honestly, it's, it's, it's a fantastic problem to have because I mean, if it's institution coming in, I mean, I guess I'll just hold my Luna instead of AUST or something like that and kind of benefit off the institutions coming in. Um, is there going to be any announcements um, with partnerships with the VCs, like specific VCs, um, so that we can kind of get into their platforms so that we do have some money that is protected through insurance? I don't know if it's, you know, like uh, the Arrington anchor stuff, or if we have to go through Alice or through cash, or um, are there going to be any partnerships announced like that? Yeah. So I can't announce anything right now, but I can talk about the, the Arrington anchor fund partnership, which is already announced um, and actually was um, one of the catalysts for this. And we launched the the first Twitter space that we had about risk harbor ozone was with the Arrington anchor fund on where they announced what at the time was a hundred million dollar fund for anchor. And now is going to be, I think 150 million, the latest I've heard. So that's uh, huge. And there's other projects like that. You mentioned Alice. Um, uh, we recently, uh, there was some stuff on Twitter, some noise on Twitter with us and Alice recently as well. So that's coming too. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe I should rephrase. I'm not, I'm not asking you to, divulge anything obviously because of NDAs. I'm just asking if there there will be announcements of who you have partnered with in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um and stay tuned for this. It's a lot of exciting stuff. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Uh that answers my question. So I'll hop back down to listener. Thank you so much. That was a great question. Really appreciate it. And I can see that uh one of my compadres from Orbital Command, uh, Rebel DeFi is also on. So I'm not sure if he wants to jump on or not, but he's most welcome to I'm just going to give him a chance here. Let's do this. And so regarding the, well, this is exciting. I'm already getting ideas in my head. So Max, just first and foremost, thank you for jumping on. This has been a really uh, interesting call and I'm enjoying learning more about risk harbor. Risk harbor, as I said, is something that I just, for whatever reason, hadn't delved into in the past. And I think actually, just to kind of provide a bit of context here, my old way of thinking was like, because I thought Risk Harbor was just all done. Um, I thought it was basically fully automated or, you know, predominantly automated and that my, my logic was why would I want to protect myself from, say, smart contract exploits with a smart contract, with smart contracts, with an insurance uh, company based with smart contracts. And so I don't know if that question even makes any sense, but I'll put that forward to you actually just before I uh, bring anyone else up. Do you have any input around that question? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I feel like the question is why would you want insurance that's not automated, to be honest? Because if you go to one of the providers that's kind of not automated, then you're going to protect this risk, right? You're trying to eliminate uncertainty in your payoffs, but then you're introducing the uncertainty of whether the DAO is going to vote to honor the, the agreements that they have with you. Whereas an automated claims 
system, there's no uncertainty. If the funds are not there, you're going to get paid. If the funds are there, you don't need the insurance, right? There's no more random chance, no more politicking. Um, you get paid out in three blocks versus waiting two weeks on one of our competitors. Like, um, I almost see it like the other way around is the real question is why would you want it? Uh, you know, go to, uh, to a DAO and get it. And then the other thing is, it's not like we're just kind of building these contracts and, and sitting and forgetting. Um, we're actively looking at risks, contributing, uh, you know, looking into the details. Uh, I had a conversation with Drew recently, who's one of the co-founders, um, who's a technical wizard. And we were just talking through all of the kind of potential points of failure that there could be in the anchor claims process. Um, so on the, where it's automated is like exactly where you want it to be automated. And then the human side where we're doing all the work and analyzing the risk and, and doing that work for the community is still there as well. Sold. <laughs> You've, um, yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. It puts my, my mind at ease and I'm, I'm very much, I'm starting to feel very optimistic about your future. Um, the, the thing is you guys have to have, like, obviously there's a reason framework, DK or Doquan, um, you know, Arrington, buddy, who else do you have there? I said them earlier, but, you know, there's quite a few, uh, Pantera, there's quite a few backers and there's lots of uh, money that's been invested into it and there's lots of money that's going to be managed. And so, of course, you guys with the big brains, obviously you have to sit around and, and think about all of the potential points of failure um, and just do that almost ad nauseum. And, and so it's like, it's like playing chess, you know, and I, I kind of think about this when I look at what Doe's doing as well with the BTC buys and the AVAX buys and all that. It's like playing chess and building out the communities and uh, building out the connections uh, and all the infrastructure to basically continue to minimise risk even more than it is at the moment. And so you play a key part of that. Um, so really, um, really starting to see the value in it. Regarding costs to do so, and this is a pretty obvious question, you know, anyone that's uh, dealt with insurance before, that there are costs to do so. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, so um, there's, there's a few types of costs, right? There's the development costs, which is the cost of paying the engineers. Um, and the designers and all that stuff. And then the cost of the audits on top of that. So that's like one cost. Um, and then the other cost is kind of the underwriting capital has to be there if there is uh, a hack. So that's an opportunity cost of what you're doing with that underwriting capital. Mm. Um, so the, the cost of the development, that's paid for entirely by the risk cover team. That's not paid for by... Uh, the community funds that were allocated. The community funds are only getting allocated to underwrite capital because of that kind of opportunity cost problem. So mm -hmm. if you go and underwrite Anchor, um, you can't be doing something else with the money, right? So underwriting Anchor earning 2% a year and taking on exactly the same risks as you would depositing into Anchor for 19.5% a year that's not a profitable trade-off. So what it made sense to do with uh, the Terra community funds is subsidized because those funds were just kind of sitting there doing nothing in the community pool. And what we did is say, okay, put them here as underwriting funds and we can, you know, have capacity to bring in a ton of institutional investors who are going to make this system a lot more robust and provide protection to the existing users. Um, yeah, so those are the, the two major costs. And like I said, that the community funds were not used to pay salaries of engineers or to pay for audits at all. No, no none of that. So, hmm. So, and I may have misheard this, but so is it 2% is the 2% of whatever you contribute is what you're payable? Because I believe it's quarterly payments. Is that right? Yeah, so the, the rate is 2% annual right now. Um, but the, the vault is like live for only a quarter, so you're going to pay around 0.5% a quarter, but 
it's not exactly 0.5%, but yeah. Okay. And that would be 0.5% of the amount pro like provided by the user. Yeah. So the user will, if you want to protect an uh, uh, investment of a million dollars, then you're going to pay per quarter about 0.5% of that. Okay. So. Yep. Okay, that's easy to work the maths out on. Um, awesome. Okay. And then there's one thing that I just wanted to highlight that I did gloss over a second ago, which was you're talking about the automated payouts being within, what, three blocks? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the only reason it's not faster, right, is because uh, we want to make sure that flash loans aren't an issue. So we have, uh, we have to wait at least, you know, the claim has to get filed. And then we do the swap. So you gotta wait uh, uh, at least, you know, two or three blocks. So that's the, but on Terra, you know, at first we launched on Ethereum mainnet and that was like 45 seconds. And now we're on Tendermint on Terra and it's, you know, a couple seconds, which is insane compared to where our competitors are at, which is, you know, you, you spend weeks waiting for governance to take up the vote watching you know the community kind of twiddle their thumbs and uh yeah that's actually, you don't have that's, to wait long for the code to get executed yeah that's that's you know that, i can't um i've got to i've got to really give that some attention because that is epic i've just thought about you know back years ago snowboarding in new zealand and losing a camera and then trying to you know go through insurance and just like the rigmarole of being in contact with the you know the insurance company and all that sort of stuff and i was just like man wouldn't it be so much easier if it could just occur automatically within a few seconds? Uh, you, you know, blinking, you wouldn't even realize it's happened. It's right. And I mean, it's so, I mean, it's very clear that that's the, the paradigm that should be the case when the data is publicly available on chain. There's no, and it's kind of, it's not really like, there's no risk of like somebody saying I lost my camera when they didn't. Right. So, so we have this easy setting where the data is publicly available. There's, there's a very low risk of kind of uh, moral hazard, which is, which is when somebody you know, would report their camera stolen or missing or lost, but it's not. And uh, that's a nice setting for, for protection providers. And it's what allows us to take what's traditionally a very costly, very arduous, somewhat uncertain process with a lot of human input and make it a three second on-chain thing. Exciting times ahead for Risk Harbor there. Some amazing uh, some amazing conversation just unfolded for anyone who's just tuned in. Um, if you haven't heard the beginning of this call or the middle of it or any of it, um, I definitely recommend checking this out after this has all been said and done. It'll be over at terraspaces.org. Our guy, Finn, and his crew do a phenomenal job of recording all the spaces. Before we wrap this up today, Max, just want to check in. Is there anything that you haven't yet said that you wanted to say? Is there anything um, that, that yeah, we just haven't covered that is notable of interest, uh, important to know? Uh, I think I just want to say, you know, thanks for having me on. Thanks to the Terra community for trusting us to be um, the big provider of protection. That's a really important role and one that uh, we're going to be, you know, really grinding and really delivering for you guys. So thanks so much for trusting us with that. And um, I hope you guys all see the fruits of the labor and I hope we can bring a ton of institutional capital and also protect the little guys well um, and really be a, a kind of hub for institutional capital to come in attracted by those anchor yields and start to see all the other really cool stuff that's going on in the anchor ecosystem. And then also stay tuned. We got some really, really exciting announcements coming out. We have uh, nine figures of capital of underwriting capital going to be deployed uh, in the coming weeks. And then in the coming months, we're going to have 10 figures deployed. And uh, that's going to be alongside our V2. That's going to allow us to not only protect Anchor, but use the same capital to protect Mars and Mirror and all the other really great projects that are happening right now on the Terry Kiss system. Fantastic. Um, thank you, everyone, who's tuning to listen. Um, with Risk Harbor, you guys, obviously, you've got me in your DM. So if you need anything personally, just you know, reach out and let me know. I'm always happy to assist wherever I can. 
Um, if you're looking for people to join the team, of course, we can always assist with trying to get some people there. In saying that, we do have at the Teradap Expo that is happening in June, there will be a speed dating, which means that we will be able to introduce developers uh, and projects nice and quickly so they can get to know each other. So if you're going to the Teradap Expo and you're a developer, you'll have uh, ease of access directly with the projects to meet them firsthand and potentially end up working with those teams. With that being said, are we going to see you there, Max? Um, possibly, possibly. Uh, I had a great time at Avalanche last uh, week, so or two weeks ago. So possibly in Austin, yeah. right? Uh, in Austin, one Texas, June ninth and tenth. It's, it's supposed to be a wonderful city. Obviously, I'm on the other side of the world, um, but I've not been there. But I'm looking forward to getting there. And so there's a, a conversation happening with Raul for myself. Uh, so I might be seeing you there. Yeah, hope to see you there. See you. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. See you guys. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Orbital Command Alpha Hour AMA with Risk Harbor, hosted by Dr. Doscoin, recorded on Friday, April 8th, 2022. This episode of The Ether was brought to you by Orbital Command, a community validator on Terra dedicated to educating, expanding, and promoting the lunatic community. Visit OC's What We Do page using the link in the show notes to take advantage of some of their other educational resources, including weekly meetups to discuss Terra protocols, strategies, and concepts, the Terra Luna Intel report on Telegram, and YouTube explainer videos on Terra concepts. You can also support their community efforts by considering them next time you're delegating or reading delegating your Luna. Find out more at orbitalcommand.io. This episode of the Ether was also brought to you by Luart. Luart is the first gamified NFT platform built on the Terra network. Luart provides a seamless minting and trading experience all while earning you rewards just for being a user. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and join the community in the Discord server for the most up-to-date news and announcements regarding all the hot new NFT launches, platform upgrades, and new projects hitting the secondary marketplace. Are you ready to put your helmet on and join the movement? Find out more at luart.io. TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Waking up like a basement dweller Stepped out the door and heard racist yelling 2020, what an ugly shit show Staring at the fucking rig roll from the get-go Looking outside, the whole state's on fire The fuck do you expect when you embrace the liars And replace the writers with AI just like us Emaciated models killing bright birds First in, last out, picture me rolling The worst time to cash out, so what you holding? The Merc's gonna cash cow, country stolen Drooling over chicken like the goose is golden Trying to be so full, spitting that molten Lava from the bottom of the caldera I'm hot and gonna put it in a bottle And offer it to the god who hit the gas full throttle Blasting off in a rocket There are many people who will, will see things happen to them That are in their favor so someone's looking over me. That's a, that's a fascinating phenomenon when that happens. And what, when you analyze those situations, what you find is, is that we as humans simply have a profound inability to understand statistics and probability. Stitching these writings, living that life like Who would have guessed you turn out this nice, right? Avoiding stress, that's the motherfucking secret Print that shit on a motherfucking leaflet I'm just an asshole hooked on the bricks Looking at the rectangles, damn they kinda thick We've gone through a whole lot of kings here Cutting off heads just to bring cheer Getting all fired up, Tiger King, line them up When you'd give an arm and a leg just to try the junk On some first time buyer's luck Alexa, set a reminder and remind me to buy a bunch And put your hands up if you fuck this year And keep them in the air if you're picking up the spare And put your mask on just to go outside Looking at the planet about to downsize So climate change will not make Earth Basically, every other coastal city that we've spent thousands of years building uh, in the, since the dawn of civilization.
Chambers Spaces. <laughs>